I'm Josie Mitchell, and this is the Granta Magazine podcast. We have a new series out, speaking to authors about their novels, poetry, memoir, and short story collections, and also about life under lockdown. This was recorded remotely, so apologies for the shifts in sound quality. It has been a strange year, and I'm very grateful to all the authors who made the time to talk. Today, I'm talking to Catherine Scanlon about her short story collection, The Dominant Animal. The book contains a series of uncanny, delicately built worlds that invite reading and rereading. It's out now with Daunt Books. Under a noon sun, on a black cloth, lay a glitter of metal, hard to look at. I picked up a locket, old and gold, and dangled it by its chain. I wedged my nail in its seam and split it open like a piece of fruit. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Catherine. It's um, it's really lovely to have you. Thank you for asking me. One thing that I think it's quite nice to start with, given we're doing this season of the podcast remotely, is to sort of ground ourselves a bit with a sense of where we both are, just talking about where we're both based. So where are you based currently? Um, I live in Los Angeles uh, on the east side in Silver Lake, the neighborhood's called. And I live in an apartment. Um, it's a duplex. And yeah, that's where I am. And it's very hot today. It's funny, isn't it? Because these little details that weren't as important maybe six months ago, like whether it's an apartment or a house with a garden, suddenly become so significant. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I feel pretty lucky in that way um, because I do have like a small patio and our apartment is fairly comfortable. My husband and I have talked a lot about how how thankful we are that we live where we do because um, for like the first six years we lived here, we lived in a really tiny space, like a 350 square foot house, and we probably would have killed each other yeah where I'm based in South London there's uh I I wouldn't have even noticed it before but we've got this um back door that opens onto a fire escape and it's just been so wonderful having this place where you can go out and sit in the sun Mm -hmm. um and sort of look over at at all of our neighbors who have decided to use the summer to get out tiny paddling pools to sit in and stuff like that yeah, so how have how has the summer been with 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 the lockdown? Does it affect you much with your day to day? Um, I mean, sure, but it also is kind of strange how it's pretty similar to what I had been doing before. Um, I lost my day job um, like a year and a half ago, kind of unexpectedly, and so actually for like a year and a half, I've been working from home. So my daily schedule isn't that different, but it, it feels a lot different, obviously. Has it been interesting having everyone else join you on your vibe? Yes. Yeah. Having my husband here, you know, every day is definitely different. And then, um, you know, I, I walk every day and then now all of a sudden everybody's walking every day. And, uh, and it's, I mean, it's kind of, cool actually to see other people going through the same sorts of things that happen when you're just like at home all the time and um the mental space of that it's kind of a 
it's kind of a funny thing to see. And I mean, you know, I'm really, I'm grateful that I'm able to be <laughs> at home right now, you know, that I, I'm not going out. I recognize that it's like a lucky place to be, but um, yeah, it's also just pretty strange at the same time. Well, um, yeah, what, what, what we're sort of like uh, here to talk about is this new book that you've um, written, The Dominant Animal. And maybe a good way for us to start and sort of get into a conversation would be to have a reading. Um, yeah. The Locket. Under a noon sun, on a black cloth, lay a glitter of metal, hard to look at. I picked up a locket old and gold, and dangled it by its chain. I wedged my nail in its seam and split it open like a piece of fruit. Inside was a man from the neck up. He wore a white collar and a black coat, and he had a head full of rich hair. His face was stiff as stone beneath the glass, but I could see how it might move. It seemed to me he'd been thinking of a woman when the photographer ducked beneath his dark cloak. Maybe the man cut his face out and applied paste to the back. Maybe he pressed it in, snugged the glass, shut the dome, then fixed the clasp to the woman's neck. Let's hope he lifted her hair so as not to snare it. Let's hope he lowered his lips there. On her nape from the chain, the woman felt a light, cold, creeping prick. The locket shone like a small sun before it dulled into something more earthbound. When it slid across the woman's skin, she thought of the man inside. Sometimes she moved just to feel it. I walked home with the thing tangling in my pocket. When I arrived, the locket was warm as my thigh. I worked as a mail clerk at a warehouse that cut small discs of tin. All day long, the pieces rained ringing down the chutes. The air tasted sour and sharp like blood when you opened your mouth. The man who ran operations had skin that flushed red while he worked. His arms were covered in coarse yellow hair that caught the silver shavings as they fell like sparks from the machines. I'd stand at my station, sorting. He'd walk past with a speed that disturbed my clothes, my skirt a sweep of fingertips, my shirt a hand that traveled up my back. My hair lifted and sighed into place again. The letters lay limp while I listened for his step. It seemed I could hear the smallest sound from a great distance. When I drove home in the evening, I took the long way through dried up fields. I found dependable pleasure in the yield of the gas pedal to my foot. The life in me, it always pulsed harder the closer it came to its end. There's actually 40 stories uh, in The Dominant Animal, which is amazing. And they're really beautifully organised into these uh, eight sets of five stories. How long have you been working on them? How long has it taken to pull all these stories together? It's taken um, quite a while. I've the, the earliest story that's in the collection I wrote in 2008, and I sold the collection as a finished collection in 2018. It ended up taking me quite a bit longer than I had thought it might. I had a lot of sort of disruptive things happen in my life along the way. And, and also I think that it just took me a while to come to the place where I could write 
stories the way that I wanted to write stories. Would you say, so you're saying it sort of took you a while to come to your particular style? Yeah, definitely that, but also just, um, you know, I was pretty broke uh, my whole adult life, really, and, you know, working job, working uh, various jobs, and um, yeah, it just took me a while to get to where I needed to be. When you're looking for a short story or what makes a great story for you and other people, is there some, is there other aspects that you're drawn to? Yeah, I think that, you know, definitely what a writer is doing on the sentence level is, is one of the main things that I'm interested in, in stories and, and less so, you know, as far as like, uh, character or plot or things like that. I do think that when you're constantly working with sentences, with authors, you end up uh, more and more drawn to the drama of the sentence, sort of authors who are really surprising you with, what a trajectory a sentence can take, combinations of words you don't expect that that maybe unteach a lesson about how things are done. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Um, yeah, I'm curious about that that fascination with with the sentence. Like, how does that connect to you for the for, to the story as a whole? You've got these different levels of of like uh, bricks to build something with. I mean, I just think that the sentence is the most exciting thing. Um, and if I just can't really fathom being interested in writing without that excitement for the possibility of a sentence, um, it, you know, anything can happen. I mean, I guess you can say that anything can happen in a work as a whole or in a story or in a novel, but um, I think, you know, it starts obviously with the sentence as the building block, like you say, and um and yeah, I mean, in my, when I'm writing a story, you know, sometimes I'll have sort of a vague idea of where I want it to go as far as what happens, but the way I get there is always by the sentence. A sentence leads me to the next sentence that leads me to the next sentence. And then I figure out what I'm doing. Was there a process of deprogramming uh, the expected rules of how you go from sentence to sentence though because I definitely think um sentence by sentence I'm on the back foot when you take me through a story which is a really pleasurable experience you you you, <laughs> you, you think you know where a sentence is going to go and it can go in a very different direction yeah definitely a reprogramming I would say um I I went to Iowa as an undergrad and um did like the undergrad workshop there and I feel like for a while I, you know, I had this interest in trying to learn how to write like a very kind of straightforward traditional story, what I mean, whatever that means. But, um, and I just hated my writing and, I, uh, and I kind of, I had to go through this process of like, I, like to the point where I, I almost like silenced myself in a way. Like I, I just tried to strip things down to the point that, I wasn't even really saying anything at a certain point, but then, um, then I felt like I was able to build my work back up from there. And that was, a, you know, I mean, that's, I guess that's part of what I'm talking about when I was talking about the process of the long <laughs> process of getting to the point where I could write how I wanted to. If the sentence is a really important component of how you put together a story, I've read a few 
pieces of writing that describe your your stuff as being quite sort of placeless or existing in a sort of strange placeless thing. And I, I, I wanted to ask you about that because I guess like as a British person, I don't feel like I can pick up on maybe some more specific references that might be really clear to an American. Are mm. these stories representing a particular community or a particular place for you? I think sort of yes and no, actually. Um, I think that maybe when people are saying that they have sort of a placeless feeling, you know, that might be largely because of the fact that I never mention place names, um, you know, names of towns or, or cities or even regions. Um, Cause I don't think that that's a very interesting thing to do, but I do think that my writing has always been pretty influenced by by place or like being in a place. Um, and I definitely think that, you know, even though I'm, I'm kind of striving for the kind of placelessness that you find in like a, you know, like a fable or a fairy tale in most of these stories, I, I still feel like they are definitely about America. I mean, for sure. It's funny because while that is not necessarily a, sense of specific place there's definitely a really strong mood Mm -hmm. almost uh you're really in these places that might be motels or um forests or the back garden of someone that you don't quite trust you know it's it's (laughs) they're very specific places in a smaller sense yeah and I think that um I mean that makes me think actually that when I think about place or when I feel like I'm writing about place, I guess most of the time it is a mood. It it is the mood of a place that I I feel like I'm paying attention to or or picking up on and trying to convey. One thing I want to go back to as well is is what you said about being broke, because I think I really, really like about this book is even though it it does have this sense of placelessness, this this feeling of of, of fable or being folkloric, it also felt to me like quite, it felt like it was also about class, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. A lot of the characters in it are experiencing this real precariousness, um, even though it's not necessarily overt. I'm curious whether um, that precariousness was something that you were conscious consciously building into your worlds yeah I don't think that it was something that I set out to write about you know like I'm going to write a story about precarity or I'm going to write a story about class in America but um it's very much part of my life and always has been and I see that it's a part of so many of the lives of people I know um in this country and so I think that it just keeps sort of coming up. Would you say that there are um, recurring dilemmas, perhaps, that 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 run through the story? Yeah, I mean, I think that probably, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but I feel like probably the main recurring problem is just this uh, idea of like a, you know, a power imbalance or, um, 
sort of the struggle for one person to have power over another or for one person to want power over another or for one person to just want to be able to (laughs) exist. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, I mean, that's definitely related to what we're talking about with class and, and precarity for sure. There was one story that really stuck in my mind. I think it's called Vagrants. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a story about uh, a couple who, 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 who I think have a really small apartment. Sounds, sounds a bit like the one that you sort of <laughs> live with for a few years. And one of the things they do in their spare time is they get in the car and they drive to these really affluent areas and make believe what it would be like to live in these houses. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me because I think, I've definitely walked around sort of areas of London or cycled around and, and, and had that daydream. It sort of feels quite, it's both reassuring and, and strange and maybe even a bit unhealthy. Yeah, it's a really strange thing to do, I think, but I love doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Built into that story is a sense of this real ambivalence about what they're doing. Um, where do you think that ambivalence lies? Um, I think that I just am ambivalent about a lot of things or I, I think that things are just so much more complicated and conflicted than, you know, maybe we like to think or, or try to think. Um, and so you know, like uh, in regard to that story specifically, the the sorts of feelings that I have about doing something like that are, you know, sort of complex and weird. Like I, you know, I will see the sort of disparity that exists and I'll be upset about it or... Um, jealous or feel like why can't I have that um or feel like this isn't how things should be but then at the same time I can enjoy the beauty of like a a very grand large beautiful house (laughs) and gardens and um and get sort of like a almost like a hopeful feeling from it um as silly as that sounds and and so I think that, yeah, those are just the sorts of things that I, I'm interested in in trying to work through in fiction. Was this releasing for you? Does that make sense? <laughs> um, yeah, I think in some ways, yes. Um, it's, it's very gratifying. <laughs> I think that anger is a a really useful emotion, but it can also be really destructive. And I, but I think that it's really useful as an energy, if you can sort of try to channel it as like a creative energy. Um, I want to ask as well, cause I was looking at your, um, I was looking at the acknowledgements page and I saw, and also the list of places that you publish. And I, I, I see that so many of these stories appeared in noon and, and that you, that you also particularly thank Diane Williams in your acknowledgements. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's an incredible writer. Um, yes. And yeah, I'm really curious, like what, 
would you say has been her influence on your work in the time that you've worked together? I mean, really huge. I, I kind of can't overstate it, really. Uh, she, I mean, first of all, when I discovered her work and then Noon and then the work of all of the writers that she publishes in Noon um, was really like a, a very significant moment in when I was trying to figure out, you know, how I wanted to write. Can you remember? Can you remember the first experience? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, for sure. I remember when I got the first issue of Noon that I read and I read it, um, I brought it home with me for Christmas break. I was visiting my family um, from when I was in graduate school and, and I just really have a vivid memory of reading it and feeling like this is, this is what I've been looking for. You know, like this is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, I, a couple months after that sent her some of the stories that I wrote, which were, you know, I wrote them sort of like being inspired by reading that issue of noon and, and she ended up publishing one of them. And that was my first story to appear in print. And it was such a, uh, an important like early encouragement of this direction that I was trying to go in. And then, you know, over the 10 years or so, I sent her work again and again. And a lot of times she rejected it. Um, but she was always very encouraging. And, Mm. you know, even when she rejected my work, she wanted to keep reading it um, and let me know that. And, and then also just working with her as an editor, um, you know, she's edited some of my stories in a way that is maybe a little unusual. <laughs> like I, I haven't really ever worked with another editor who has edited the way that she does, but it's such a, I just feel like it's such a privilege to be able to work with someone who is what, you know, one of your favorite writers um and she's she also happens to be editing this journal that you can send your work to so it's (laughs) it's kind Mm -hmm. of like this you know blessing what kind of stuff would she would you say that she sort of surprises you with her editorial suggestions what kind of thing might she suggest for the story you send in a lot of times she suggests a new title and sometimes she will like certain stories of mine, she's um, like a, there was a, there was one year where I sent her multiple stories and she took that, she took a paragraph from one and replaced or or used it as the ending for, for another story (laughs) and ended up publishing that story. And that was something that like, you know, I had, I had done on my own. I, I, in my editing or like working on my stories, but that to see her do it, it was like, Oh, that is the, you know, that is, that is a really exciting and interesting thing to do to like be working on several stories at once and how, you know, one might actually help be able to help the other and um, how that can kind of short circuit your brain in a way, you know, where you, you get sort of stuck into thinking about, what the story you're working on, like how it should be and what should be happening. But it's actually really exciting to be able to just get out of that 
mindset and and pull something else in that might take it in a an unexpected direction. One question I'm asking people is how how has 2020 changed the way you think about the world or how is it changing the way you operate? Um, I mean, I, I feel like in so many ways, but that I might not even be fully conscious of yet. Um, I think that it's been a kind of a good lesson in trying to be okay with doing whatever you can do in a given day, but not not beating yourself up if you can't do anything. Um, I've found that there've been a lot of days where I just, uh, I can't really think or, or focus on anything except for what's happening in the news. And, and I think that's how it should be. You know, um, I think that it just sort of feels like this opportunity for everybody to kind of just have a long think and sort of a soul searching and um I don't know I'm I'm really hoping that there can be a lot of things that that change because of what's happening right now but we'll have to see you've been listening to the Granta magazine podcast the music was taken from the album First Flights by Trilog. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people to find us. And a reminder that this has been recorded under lockdown conditions. So please be kind if you can.